pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise and we glorify your name. We lift your name up in this service because you are the one who is perfect in every way. And you have provided a full and complete salvation, the forgiveness of all of our sins, the gift of life, not only life today, but life that is eternal. We thank you, Lord, for these gifts which you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to the reality of who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us in your word. We ask, Lord, that through your word that we would have hearts that are set at peace, knowing that we're far from perfect, that we do have sin, but knowing that you're a perfect Savior. You've entered into our messy life, and uh, you have provided all that is needed. Every gift that we need has been given to, given to us from you, and we thank you for this reality. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your word today, and then help us, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to hear it, to believe it, and then to live it out in our daily lives. Lord, only you can do this work in us and in our church. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. And all of God's children say, amen. We welcome you here in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is so good to see each and every one of you here at Maple Park today. We know that it's the Lord who gathers us together. He's the one who brings us together uh, as the body of Christ, as the church so that we can hear his word and receive from him all the promise that, promises that he's given to us. And we also gather here uh, before our uh, 1030 service for Sunday school. We have Sunday school for all ages here at Maple Park Church. We have an adult class that meets upstairs, and there's information about that adult class in your bulletin. So we encourage you to come and to, and to open God's word and to have your heart instructed by God's word uh, through the Sunday school class. So there's information about that. We also have a Sunday school for youth, our confirmation class, uh, which is uh, for those who are in eighth grade uh, through their senior year who haven't completed confirmation. And uh, we invite uh, all of our, our youth to come to confirmation where we le learn from the Bible what we believe and why we believe it. So it's a really important uh, season of the life of our youth uh, as we uh, open up the scriptures and learn uh, about what we believe and why we believe it. Also, we have Sunday school for kids. And I think my wife is here. Is my wife here somewhere? Oh, she, yeah, where's she at? No, she's not here. All right. Well, my wife is probably somewhere taking care of something. And my wife, uh, she is uh, helping with some other ladies to run our children's Sunday school program. So we have some good Sunday school teachers, but we're actually in need of another Sunday school teacher. Uh, we have a group of terrific boys. Uh, it's, a group, it's, it's a class of, of boys, and, and these boys are, are, are amazing, and, and they're full of energy. And uh, we need a Sunday school teacher for those boys. I think two of those boys are right there, my son Daniel, and then Lucas Coleman, and there are others uh, too in that class. So if you are interested in teaching that class, you can talk to my wife, Katie, and she would be thrilled uh, to give that class to you. All right? So that's the announcement for that. We also look forward to seeing you next week. Next week is our church picnic. We are planning on having it this week after the service, but the picnic shelter wasn't available. We want the entire church, all ages, to be a part of our church picnic. So if you're interested in coming to that, it's a great time. Uh, you can sign up to bring something, 
in uh, the foyer at the table. And if you just want to come and eat, come and eat. If you want to stick around and, uh, and enjoy the fellowship and other activities, we invite you to do that too. But we'd love to see everybody come to our church picnic. Again, thank you for coming today. Today also is the beginning of a new sermon series in your bulletin. Now, now I have to say that, that this isn't the secretary's fault. It's, it's my fault because I approved the bulletin before it's printed. Uh, the sermon listed in the bulletin is not the sermon for today. That was last week's sermon. So if you're worried that I'm going to be preaching the same sermon again, don't worry, I'm not. Uh, the sermon this week, we begin a new sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians, through, uh, 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 through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in, in the ancient Roman city of Corinth. And I've titled this sermon series, A Messy Church and a Perfect Savior. Life is messy. How many of you would say sometimes my life is a mess? If you don't raise your hand, uh, I don't think you're being honest. How many of you say sometimes my family is a mess? All right. And we shouldn't, we should never uh, say that, that, our, that our church is not a messy place. I have been a part of a number of churches. Before I came here, I was at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in, in, uh, in New York. Wonderful church, wonderful people, but it was a messy church. Before that, I was, I was uh, on staff at Stavanger Lutheran Church in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Wonderful church, wonderful people, but it was a messy church. Before that, I was a youth director at our sister church in Marysville, Word of Life Lutheran Brethren. Wonderful church, wonderful people, but it was a messy church. And now I've come to Maple Park and I thought, maybe I finally arrived. <laughs> Maple Park, wonderful people, but it's a messy church. It's a messy church. But we are grateful that we have a perfect, a perfect Savior. Amen. He is perfect in every way. And that's really what we want to focus on. The Corinthian church was a messy church. But the Corinthians trusted in a perfect Savior. And as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today, it is remarkable what Paul has to say about these Corinthians considering the mess that their church was in. I mean, this church had problems. They turned their communion services into a drunken party. Uh, there, there was incest within their congregation. This was a messy church. And so Paul writes to this messy church to address the issues but also to point to a perfect Savior. A perfect Savior. So you'll never find a perfect church. But our perfect Savior gives to the church everything that it needs. One lady was looking for the perfect church. She visited with the pastor of the famous Moody, Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, Illinois. She told the pastor that she was looking for the perfect church. And the pastor said, well, when you find it, you better not join it because it won't be perfect anymore. 
So here's the point, point number one. There are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect Christians. We're all a work in progress. And from what we read last week, the sermon title that's in your bulletin, the potter and the clay, we're all a work in progress. We're, we're like that lump of clay in the potter's hand. We have lumps. Some of us are lumpier than others. Some of us are more flawed than others. But we're all a work in progress. God is working on us. And so, so the, 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 the church is the assembly of Christians. I think I have these points, Ian, on uh, Proclaim, hopefully. They went through. The church, uh, so number one, there's no perfect Christians. Number two, the church is the gathering, then, of imperfect Christians. It's the gathering of imperfect Christians in a particular location. All right, so we don't need to, pr to pretend th that we've got everything figured out. And we don't need to pretend that we're performing at the level that we know we should be performing at as Christians. So the church is a group of people who, mi who meet in a particular location. And, and when Christians meet together, they're those who retain a sinful nature. You and I as Christians are sinners. So I don't know if you've made note of this lately, but, but I'm not Jesus. And you're not Jesus. None of us are perfect. You see, if you want to find the perfect person, look to Jesus. Look to him alone. So point number three. Christians are sinners that have been sanctified and are being sanctified. So I'll say it again. Christians are sinners that have been sanctified and are being sanctified. Now we're going to get to the text here in just a little bit, but I'll give you a little preview here from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. The apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified. That is, to those made holy. Now we, we can't get the full meaning of this word in English because in, in Greek, it's a participle, it's a perfect passive participle. And, and what that means is that, it's, that it's, uh, it, it speaks of something that happened in the past, but it has ongoing action and results. So in other words, the Corinthians were sanctified, so, uh, a fact, uh, something that happened to them when they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but their sanctification has continuing results. In other words, the Corinthians are a work in progress. God sanctified them. He made them holy, but he's still sanctifying them. They're a work in progress. So we believe that we are saints, sanctified saints. Yet we retain a sinful nature. So we are simultaneously sinner and saint. So the church is the gathering of those who have been made holy, but are still a work in progress. None of us have arrived. And in this life, we won't arrive. None of us will reach perfection in this life. 
Each and every one of us are a work in progress. We're declared saints, not by our own good works, but by the grace of Jesus. But we're still sinners. You might say, man, this is confusing. How could it be that somebody is both a sinner and a saint simultaneously? Maybe an illustration will help. Picture of an old Corvette. All right, now that is a Corvette. And by the way, there's a cat in that picture, and I think that cat has really awesome taste in cars. It's a Corvette. Now, I'm willing to, to bet that that, that that Corvette does not perform as a Corvette in its current state, right? But it's a Corvette. The title to that car says that it's a, I believe it's a 1962 Corvette. The title says it's a 1962 Chevy Corvette. The title doesn't make any note of the car's performance, only of what it is, a Corvette. And even though it doesn't perform as you would expect a Corvette to perform, it still is. And the same is true of you and me. We are sanctified, we are holy, we are Christians, forgiven of all of our sins. But that doesn't mean that we have arrived and that we're performing in our faith or in our lives as Christians the way we should be performing. But the truth of God's Word, the Word says you are a saint. You have been declared holy. You are sanctified. You are righteous. You are a Christian 100%. Your status as a Christian is not based upon your performance. When God sees you, he sees a sanctified child of his, deeply loved by him. It's still a sinner who's being sanctified. It's like God's pulled us out of the weeds. He's opened up the hood. And he's starting to work on us through his word to make us the people that he wants us to be. So Christians are sinners that have been sanctified and are being sanctified. So the church is the gathering of a group of people who have been declared holy, but aren't yet acting very holy. Sanctified and being sanctified. You, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are saints, but you are still sinners. So we, we don't always get along. There isn't always going to be unity within the body of Christ. We make immoral choices. We don't treat the worship services of God's gathered people with proper respect. That is hearing the word and receiving the word and trusting the word. We don't, we don't love one another as we've been called to love. We, we seek to outdo one another in our respective roles within the church rather than to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us to build up the body of Christ. And we get our doctrine wrong. Y'all say it, we get our doctrine wrong. Especially the application of it. 
A messy church. Thanks be to God. We have a perfect Savior. So what do we do as as a church that admits our, our messiness? Well, we turn to the scriptures. Specifically for us, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a messy church in the ancient Roman city of Corinth. In your Bible, this letter is titled 1 Corinthians. It's called 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter that we have which Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So Paul will will help us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God inspired Paul to write So the message is not only for the church 2,000 years ago, but for the church today, helping us deal with the messiness of life and helping us to deal with the messiness of whatever local church we're a part of. So today we open our Bibles to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Would you please stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Reading in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with the first verse. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together, together, not all by yourself, but together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and and ours. So the church is a local gathering, but we also see the, the, the universal nature of the church. It's not just the local gathering, but it's all Christians everywhere. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always seems to start his, his letters with his grace and his peace. And that's, that really is uh, the, the, the thing, that is the main thing, the, the most important thing for a church that's, in, that, that, that's like ours and like every other church in the world that's ever existed throughout history that experiences the mess of this sinful world is that we need the grace of this perfect Savior. And we need to have our hearts set at peace in Him. Verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in every way enriched in Him, in all speech and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can say amen to verse 9. God is faithful. In verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, This is where it gets hard. He appeals to the church that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind and to the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, you had one group, I follow Paul. Another group, Well, I follow Pastor Apollos. Or another group, I follow Cephas, and that's Peter. And then you have this real pietistic group, well, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And he remembers, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. Paul's a, he's, he's just like me. He can't remember all the details. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the wise? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. This makes me feel so good. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Uh, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God's, God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus who became, to us, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You may be seated. Human wisdom. Human wisdom. Human wisdom tells us to depend on ourselves or to depend upon other people. But Christ is the one who has given us everything we need. Human wisdom says, you've got what it takes. Or human wisdom says, look to that person. Look to Paul. Look to Apollos. Look to Peter. And Christ has given us everything. So point number four today is this. A church goes wrong when it depends on human wisdom. When a church begins to depend upon human wisdom, things only get messier, not better. Things get messy when they follow the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom that comes from above. Now, Luther, he didn't mince words when it came to wisdom. Martin Luther said this about our ability to reason, and I have the quote for us. And, you know, I love Luther. 
Man, I'll just give you the quote. He says, the reason is the devil's greatest whore. By nature and manner of being, she is a noxious whore. She's a prostitute. The devil's appointed whore. Whore eaten by scab and leprosy. Who ought to be trodden underfoot and destroyed. She and her wisdom. (laughs) Throw dung in her face to make her ugly. She is and she ought to be drowned in baptism. She would deserve the wretch to be banished to the filthiest place in the house, to the closets. Wow. He minces no words. He's echoing what the Apostle Paul said. That we should not trust in human wisdom. Now Luther is not saying And be clear on this, that we shouldn't use our minds. That we shouldn't be smart about what we're doing. What he is saying is that our ability to reason should be submitted to God's wisdom. Human wisdom ought to serve God's wisdom. So reason is important. But when we start to think that we're smarter than God or smarter than His Word, then we're in trouble. Then we're in trouble. So this is why the motto of Maple Park Church should always be pray first. Pray first. Because prayer is saying, Lord, we're we're not wise. We need your wisdom. We need you to give us what we don't have. So pray first. Open the scriptures. Read his word. Depend upon him. And and this is good news. I, I don't have to depend upon myself. I don't have to depend upon other people. I have found that I am I am so unreliable. Have you found that about yourself? I am so unreliable. And, and it's rare to find a person who we, can, who we can trust and rely upon. It's hard to find that. But Jesus is our rock. He is wisdom. Wisdom from above. So we should always submit to His wisdom, to His truth, to His ways. When we seek the wisdom that comes from above, that means we open our Bibles. We get on our knees and we say, Lord, show us the way. You see, a church, a church can get out of a mess really quick, really fast. If that church humbles themselves before the Lord, before his word in prayer, saying, Lord, our reason Lord, our ability to to, to think through things have only made a bigger mess of things. So we need to be on our knees, trusting in the Lord. Number five. The main thing that should unite us is Christ proclaimed through His Word. So the Word is key. The Word is key. I'm going to go through these next points quickly. 
The main thing that should unite us is Christ proclaimed through his word. I, I think that, that many people within the church are, are trying to find unity in other things rather than in Christ and what he's given to us in his word. They think we should be united around this thing. Maybe, maybe it's politics or some sort of a, of a cause. And, and those things probably are, are really not that bad. But really what should unite us is, is Christ. It's Jesus and his word. So the main thing that should unite us is Christ proclaimed through his word. Number six, uh, what we see in this passage is, is that when we choose favorites, it will cause divisions. When we choose favorites, it will cause divisions. And it caused divisions within the church in Corinth. One group was saying, I follow the Apostle Paul. Another group was saying, I follow Apollos. Another group was saying, I follow Peter. So when we choose favorites, causes divisions. Christ should be number one. Then number seven, good church leaders lead us to follow Jesus who alone is our wisdom. A good church leader is a leader who says, let's follow Jesus. Here's an idea that's presented to the congregation. A good church leader has said, let's go to Jesus. Let's open his word. Let's get on our knees and seek his wisdom and seek his will. So good church leaders lead us to follow Jesus who alone is our wisdom. And he promises to give wisdom to those who ask. And then point number eight, in Jesus alone, we are not lacking any gift. In Jesus alone, we are not lacking any gift. You have and we have as a church everything that we need in Jesus. It's a messy church, right? But we have a perfect Savior. And in Him we lacked, lacked no gift. So the good news in the midst of this, this messy world with messy churches is a perfect Savior. He gives His wisdom to all who ask. He knows what to do. I'll say it again. He knows what to do. And he provides all that's needed. He puts the right people in the right places at the right time. He gives us a godly perspective on all things. He shows us what it means to love one another. So that in love we can be united. Are we always going to agree? No. Just because we don't agree doesn't mean that we can't remain united. Unanimity is not a prerequisite for unity. He gives us a good order for the worship services of the church. So the worship service doesn't turn into an entertainment party atmosphere. 
And I love the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As it reminds me that um, the last verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 remind me that God isn't looking for the most talented and the most gifted people. I'll read this again from verse, uh, verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. How many of you identify with that? Not, not very wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish. He shows a person like me, a person like you. God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And he became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. See, I have nothing to brag about, and you have nothing to brag about. Because all good things come from a perfect Savior. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standard. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. I don't think there's any royalty in here. I'm so glad that God chooses ordinary people. People like you and me. I like to joke around sometimes. I poke fun at myself. I think it's important that we, that we poke fun at ourselves. Kind of laugh at ourselves. One thing I'll say about myself in joking is that I'm a high-functioning moron. This puts me in good company with the disciples that Jesus chose. Jesus didn't choose the great talents of his day. Jesus chose 12 ordinary people. If you're nothing but ordinary, if you're humble to recognize that you need the wisdom of Jesus because you don't have the wisdom that it takes for such a great task. You're the perfect candidate to be used by God. God wants to use you. He wants to use us, ordinary people, for extraordinary kingdom purposes. So that in the end, us ordinary people, we can't say this, this was something that I did. We can't boast in ourselves. We can't boast as a congregation. But in the end, we boast in the Lord. And we say he is a perfect Savior. He is a perfect Savior. And by trusting in Jesus, we lack nothing. Because he is perfect. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are perfect in every way. Lord, we are a messy people. We belong to, messy, to a messy church in a messy world.
But we thank you that you have sanctified us, that you have made us holy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are continuing this process of sanctification in and through us. So that we, Lord, would be able to begin to perform in the way that you designed us to perform. So that we would be a people who, following you and following your wisdom, would be able to, as ordinary people, participate in the extraordinary expansion of your church and of your kingdom and of your purposes in this world. So, Lord, we ask that you would do this in and through us. Only you can do it, Lord. To you we give all thanks and praise. And God's children say, Amen.